Psalm 106 today. Why don't you stand and we're going to read verses 6 through 25. 6 through 25. And he saved them. Whoops, whoops. That's, that's, that's not the right verse. All right. Both we, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his, known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry. He led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. And they did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord... The earth opened up and swallowed Dothan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in their company and the flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous things in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in the promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Father, we need your help this morning. We ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to make these things clear to us. God, to make them sharp in our minds. Father, we ask that you would give us steadiness. God, that you'd give us stability in our Christian life. God, that you would give us the ability to persevere and not to be uh, stop and go. But God, help us to be all go. Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and shape them and help us to desire and want the right things. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we have in Psalm 106 is a brief history of the Old Testament, really. Not not the whole Old Testament, actually quite a bit of it. So it starts in in the Exodus and then uh, basically takes you through somewhere in the middle of the promised land heading toward the exile, okay? So it, it it would not be an overstatement, I don't think, to say that basically what Psalm 106 does is it gives you 38 books of the Bible in 48 verses, all right? So that, there, there's something cool about that. I mean, I mean, I'm glad that we have the whole Old Testament. I'm glad that we have that as a reference. But have you ever noticed that there's something about getting a bird's eye view at something that you see things you didn't see before, right? So when you when you kind of skim over something from from a high layer, you kind of see things. If you've ever flown, you notice this, right? I've driven through Dallas, Texas many, many, many times. Probably you have as well. But have you ever noticed when you fly into Dallas, Texas, you know the thing that I noticed right away? How many people have swimming pools? I mean, there are a lot of neighbors, neighborhoods where everybody has a pool, right? I, I would never know that had I just driven through. So there's things that you can see from up high that maybe you don't see from, from ground level. Well, when you read Psalm 106, two things become very clear, okay? One thing is the relentless, steadfast, faithful 
love of God for his people, okay? So, so one of the things you see in Psalm 106 is that God does not let them down. Even though they let him down constantly, even though they blow it over and over and over again, you have this continual him saving them, right? You have this continual refrain, um, verse uh, uh, 8 in, in, in our text that we read, yet he saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. You have that sort of verse happening over and over and over and over again in Psalm 106, showing that God is relentlessly faithful to his people. You can count on him. He is dependable. He is steadfast in his love. Now, the other thing you see, which is not so good, is that man is really fickle, okay? Man is really, you know, on again, off again, short-lived in, 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 in his love for God, in his commitment to God, in his devotion to God. In fact, Larry asked me what my title was, and I said, well... You know, the title I gave him was something like spiritual memory or remembering or memory troubles or, I don't know, spiritual amnesia. I don't even remember what I told him. Something like that. But the title I would want for this sermon, but I'm not going to use because some people have a big hang-up about making up words. They don't think you should do it. Okay? I know it's not a real word. All right? But the title I would like is Don't Be Spurty. Okay? Now, I know spurty is not a word, but... But you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean when someone is spurty? Like, they go in spurts, right? You, you, you ever, it, it's, it's hiking with grade school children, all right? So here's what I found out about my family. Whenever, whenever I, we had infants, okay, so we've had a lot of those. Whenever we have those, we can actually make a lot of time. Like, like we, can get, we can get far. There, there was a time, I remember when, uh, I think it was Avery maybe was a baby or something, but the other kids were big enough. And, and man, we made it up to the, the third or fourth lake in Rocky Mountain National Park. I mean, we were trucking, but all you do is you put them in the Kelty, and you make sure that you fill one side with Cheerios, you fill the other with their juice box, you put little toys in there. Man, they'll eat till they take a nap and then eat some more, you know, play a little bit. You get them out every once in a while, but you can really make some time. But the problem comes when the kids get a little too big to ride in the Kelty, but they're really not, not, they're not, they're not you know, teenagers or preteens yet. They're in that kind of grade school. And then it's, you don't make good time. And you don't make good time because they are spurty okay i know it's not a real word don't be so critical all right uh, but, but they're there here's what happens you get out of the car you're at the trailhead bam there they go you know i mean they're they're a hundred yards out there in fact you got to call them back and tell them a mountain lion and a bear story in order just to kind of keep them close right away but it doesn't last long okay so half mile three quarter mile you know, oh, I'm hot, you know, will you hold my coat, you know, I'm thirsty, I drank all my water, my feet hurt, my shoes bother me, I got a rock in my shoe, how far is it, you know, you know, and then, and then all of a sudden something will perk them up. Think about little kids that age, they recover quickly, they're unlike us, all right? They recover quickly, right? So you rest at a rock for 10 minutes, give them a little snack, give them a little drink, you know, hey, I think I saw a moose up there, bam, there they go again, you know? But it doesn't last long. And here's the thing that's very true. The steeper the incline, the harder the trail, the more the spurty, okay? The more they're stop, start, stop, start, on, off, okay? When you read 106, Psalm 106, that is God's people. That's, it doesn't have to be that way, but that, that's God's people. I mean, they're, all, they're out of Egypt. There they go. Bam. Wow. Man, they're doing great. Trusting God. Believing God. Edge of the Red Sea. Ah. Well, why did we come? We don't want to come. We don't like God. We wish we were back in Egypt. You know, God saves them in the Red Sea. There they go again. Singing praise. Bam. Out of the gate. Three days into the wilderness. Ah, there's no water. You know, I mean, it's just 
Is it belief, unbelief? Belief, unbelief. Commitment, non-commitment. Commitment, non-commitment. Serving God, not serving God. Serving God, not serving God. I mean, it's just off, off, start, start. I mean, over and over and over again. And so the thing I would like for you to think about is, what would describe your Christian walk? What, what sort? If you were to map out your Christian walk, would it be this steadfastness? Are, are, you, are you the kind of Christian that are like, you know what? Man, Jesus is the best thing, and I'm fully convinced of that. And, and so, so you take off in your Christian life, and you're fully convinced. And when you hit a trial, when you hit adversity, when you hit stress, when you hit trouble, when you hit temptation, you know, it, it may slow you down a little bit, but you're, you're going to trust God and push through, and you're going you're to keep your pace. Or, or, or does your Christian life look like a yo-yo? Is it, you know, bam, off, and then unbelief, and then belief, and then unbelief, and belief, and then unbelief? You know, what, what, what does your Christian life look like? I think there's a lot of us who that's, unfortunately, what it looks like. And so, so, so we're going to look at today, how do, we, how do we handle the starts and stops of Christian life? How can we not be that way? How can we be steadfast? How, how, can, how can we face trial and adversity and it not knock us off the road. Right? Now, now, it's possible. It's absolutely possible. In 2 Corinthians, so, so it didn't have to be that way. Let, let me give you two examples and then a little bit of theology, okay? So the two examples are both the Apostle Paul, so just two different times. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. For we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's pretty bad. Now, now, please remember, Paul is not a pansy. All right, this is a tough guy. This is, this is a, I mean, this is a guy who gets stoned. They throw rocks at his head until he stops moving. They take him by the feet and they drag him out of the city and they throw him in the garbage dump. And then he wakes up, you know, a little bit later, gets on his feet, brushes himself off, and walks back in the city. Right, this, this is a tough guy, okay? But he says he goes through a time here where, man, I mean, they had a lot of pressure on them. They had a lot of, the sentence of death is what he calls it. But listen, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raised the dead. And he delivered us from such a deadly peril. And then I like this, and he will deliver us. On him, we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. Do you, do you see that? I mean, the, he actually goes through the, through the trial with acceleration. Like, like he turns to God in the midst of adversity, and, and God comes to his rescue, and he hits the gas more confident in the future of what God's going to do. Same thing, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, um, verse uh, 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May not be charged against them. Okay, so, so here he is. He's going before trial, and every one of his small group, won't answer their phone, you know? I mean, Paul's texting them. Hey, you going to be there at the trial? Hey, you going to be there? Everybody's like, silence, 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 you know? I mean, no, but nobody will come. Everybody's afraid. Nobody, nobody comes. Everybody deserts him. May not be charged against them. Paul's like, I'm not holding it against them. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth He's so charged up about that. Look at where he goes from that. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom and him be the glory forever and ever. You see, he he pushes through the trial and the trial actually accelerates his Christian life so that he becomes more confident in the future. Now, what's the theology behind this? Is this just Paul? Is he a weirdo? Um, Maybe, but this is the, the theology. James 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith 
produces, what's that last word there? Yeah. Somebody said patience, same thing. But I, I like steadfastness because steadfastness gives me the idea of, you know, you're just, you're steadfast. You're nothing's, you know. He, he, so James 1 tells us that trials, adversity, actually ought to produce non-spurtiness. Non-spurt, non. It, it actually ought to produce perseverance in your life. That's exciting, folks. So we need to figure that out. What, what is it that Psalm 106 teaches us? What was it about the people that caused them to be so start, stop, on, off. What, 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 what was that? Okay, so here we go. Verse 7. Our fathers, when we were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea. Okay, that's key. Really, verse 7 is going to be the key verse here. Okay, so, so the writer's telling us, the psalmist is telling us, here's why they rebelled. Two reasons. That are actually one reason. They didn't remember, they didn't consider his, his wondrous works. They didn't remember the abundance of his steadfast love. All right, that, that's why they fell into unbelief. It's because they didn't, they didn't do those things. And now what's he talking about? What he's talking about is, okay, so picture, this, the, the, the setting is the Red Sea. All right, so they get delivered out of Egypt, right? They get delivered out of Egypt. They're, they're headed to the promised land. Boom, run into the Red Sea. They're right there on the the shore. Whoa, no, Pharaoh's army's coming. Here comes the army of Pharaoh. What's going through their minds? Well, verse 7 tells us what should have been going through their minds was the wondrous works of God and the abundance of his steadfast love. What is that specifically? What, what are the wondrous works of God? What should an Israelite who's standing at the, at the shore of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army, what should he be remembering? Well, I, well, the plagues, obviously. Okay, we'll get there, though. We'll get there. I, I think it's more than that. I, I think what should have been going through in his head is everything he knows about God, right? What does he know about God? Well, first of all, if, 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 he, if he's read his, his Bible, which Moses would write the first five books in, in the wilderness, so you know, but we, we believe that the, they knew these things through old tradition. So, so what, what, what should they? What should he know? Well, should, he should know that the God that he serves, the God that he followed out of Egypt, is a Creator God. He's the God who created the heavens and the earth by the word of His mouth. All right, so every spectacular thing, every beautiful thing, every majestic thing, every powerful thing, every enjoyable thing was created by, spoke into existence by God. Babies giggle, taste of ice cream, the blaze of orange and red and yellows in the sunrise, the stillness of a walk in the woods, the embrace of a loved one, the sound of rain on the tent, the Grand Teton slicing into the Wyoming sky, floating a Texas river in the warm sunshine, a well-executed offense of a basketball team. All of that spoken into existence, all that made possible, sustained by the God. He should be thinking, I serve that God. I serve a God who is a God of holiness and justice and righteousness and love and mercy and every beautiful virtue, so much so that he cannot dwell with sin, so that after he created man and man fell into sin and every imagination of his heart was sinful, God actually destroyed the entire earth in a worldwide flood but saved Noah and his family and two of every animal in an ark. So much so that God's committed to his covenant that he chose one man, an old man, Abraham, who had no children, who could not have children, who had an old wife, Sarah, who had no children and could not have children. And God said, through that couple, 
there's going to be a mighty nation that's going to rise. And through them, I'm going to bless every family on the planet. Abraham's family, they endured horrible, horrible trials, troubles. They endured a famine in which they would have perished. But God had already providentially sent one of the sons to Egypt. And that son's name was Joseph. And Joseph rose to power as prime minister of Egypt. And God told him seven years before the famine hit to, to store up grain. So Joseph stored up grain. And when the famine hit, Joseph was able to save his whole family and to bring them to Egypt. But after Joseph died, a pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph, didn't regard him. And so the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites for 400 years. And now God raised up Moses. And Moses has come to Egypt and he has come before Pharaoh and he has said, here's what God said, you're going to let my people go. They're going to walk out. A nation's going to come out from among you and we're going to go to the promised land. And Pharaoh said, no, that's not going to happen. And so what did God do? Well, God sent 10 of the worst plagues the world's ever known on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. God turned the waters of the mighty Nile River into blood. God sent a plague of frogs. And then God sent a plague of gnats, which I used to think was no big deal until I spent a little time in Mississippi uh, doing a mission trip after Katrina. And I realized it's like death angel gnats. They're right there together, you know. Flies, the next one was flies. Livestock all died. Plague of boils, giant hailstones, locusts, plague of darkness. The final plague, the death angel goes through the land of Egypt. And when one night, every firstborn of every family in Egypt is killed in the middle of the night. And the Israelites have a front row seat to all of that. So what should they be thinking on that edge of the Red Sea? All of that, right? That's what should be in their mind. That's what, that's what should determine, okay, how should, we got an army behind us. We got the sea in front of us. How should we act? All that should be going through their head. Well, This is what we know about God. This is what he's done. This is who he is. This is what he promised. But that's not what happens. What happens? Exodus 14 tells us what happens. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone? You know what they're saying? God, your plan is stupid. I hate your plan. This was terrible. This is a mistake. This is hard. Why are we here? Why didn't we stay? For it would be, it would have been better, this is terrible, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, what's going on there? Here's what's going on there. Unbelief. Unbelief. That's exactly what's going on, okay? Now, now you might say, well, no, they, they're, 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 they're just people that are nervous. You know, they're, ner- they're nervous folks. They're prone to anxiety, you know? They, 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 they're, they're, they're fearful people. They're, they, they got a hot temper. They say things when they shouldn't say. Okay, maybe all that's true. I don't know. Doesn't matter. The root of that right there is unbelief. How do I know that? Well, God delivers them by his mercy. He parts the Red Sea. They go through on dry land. The army goes in. The Egyptian army goes in. God brings the sea back and kills, kills the army. They're delivered on the other side. And verse 12 says, Then they believed his words and they sang his praise. Okay, do you hear that? Then they believed his words. What does that imply? They didn't believe him before, right? What, what's, what's the problem on the edge of the Red Sea? What's the root? The root is unbelief. The problem is unbelief. Now, 
Here's a question that, uh, this one didn't come through right away um, yesterday. I, I didn't get, I was gone most of the week, so I, I was late on my sermon, and so Michelle didn't have an opportunity to see what I was going to preach. But, but this one's coming through, so check your email this afternoon. But here's what I want you to ask yourselves in your small group. How does unbelief manifest itself in my life? So, so what are the ways that unbelief shows itself in my life? Because here's the thing. If, if your concept of unbelief is, is you saying, <clears throat> I do not believe in God, then you're, you, you've missed it. Unbelief hardly ever manifests itself in that way. Okay, But unbelief does manifest itself in, in this way right here, right? In Exodus 14, where essentially what they're saying in a, in a time of crisis, in a time of trial is, ah, throwing up their hands. Well, God, you've let us down. You know, life is hard. Look at this, an army, God, and a sea. Really? This is your great plan? This is what you got for us? My life really stinks. You know what that is? Unbelief. That's unbelief. It goes on, verse 13. They soon forgot his works. This is a different occasion. We'll talk about this in a minute. And then they did not wait for his counsel. So not waiting for God's plan, not consulting him. Verse 14 uh, refers to when they go a little further into the wilderness and, and there's the, the manna problem. Remember, they're getting manna every day, but pretty soon they get tired of manna. Like, we want something else. Doesn't the menu get bigger? God, we're not happy with this. We're not content with this. And so... Uh, Unbelief manifests itself in discontent with God's provision. Later on, they, they, they get discontent with Moses, their leader, God's man, the prophet. Verse 16, when the men came to the camp, we're, we're jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, and they grumbled against him. That's unbelief. In verse 20, it talks about they exchanged the glory of God for the, an image of an ox that eats grass. That, that was the whole golden calf thing. That's unbelief. In verse uh, 24, they get to the edge of the promised land, and, and they're ready to go in. They got there, but there's already people there, and now it's hard. They're not an army they have to face an army what god's calling them to do is hard it's difficult it's 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 strenuous and, and, and they're like god we can't do this it's too hard that's unbelief it actually says that's unbelief verse 24 says then they despise the pleasant land having no faith in his promise it goes on to verse 25 they murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the lord man when you read the story of the exodus what becomes really clear and philippians backs this up and first corinthians backs this up is that whenever we complain whenever we murmur about our lives the root of that is is unbelief. It goes on to verse 37 and 38. Um, I just bring these up because, man, they're so significant to me after having gone to North Africa. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they had sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. You know, once they get in there, they, they, don't, they don't listen to God about clearing out the nations. They, they compromise. They become worldly. And pretty soon, they, they're saying, you know what? Here, here's, here's an opportunity for us to advance ourselves, us to make our lives easier, us to get what we want. And we're willing to give up our children for that. I mean, it's, it's really, it's the same thing as abortion today. Same thing as child neglect today. I want my life to be easier, so I'm willing to sacrifice. I mean, what, what's the root of all that? Unbelief, unbelief, unbelief. They did not trust God's plan. And unbelief does the same thing today. It's not trusting God's plan. It's not trusting his word. It's not celebrating who he is. It's not being confident in him. It's not resting in him. And, and what does is, what is Psalm 106 say the root of that is? Or why, why did that happen? They did not consider his wondrous works. The problem that led to fear, the problem that led to anger, the problem that led to despair, the problem that led to doubt, the problem that led to lashing out at Moses, the problem that led to them not being courageous to go into the promised land is all 
factored in unbelief, and they were unbelieving because, verse 7 says, they did not consider God's wondrous works. They didn't consider who God was. They didn't remember his steadfast love, his continual faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness. That's the root. Now, maybe this was just an isolated incident, right? I mean, after all, they haven't been God's people very long, right? I mean, they were in Egypt, they were slaves, and, and so now they've you know, been delivered out. And who can expect them to be believing the very first sign of adversity, right? You know, I mean, they, they, this is the first challenge was the Red Sea. And so they messed it up. You know, they, they didn't act believe. But now they got it, right? Now, now they fixed their problem. They say, okay, we can trust God. He can part seas. You know, anything is possible for him. So now we can trust him. Verse 13. But they soon forgot his works. Okay, now let me, again, this is a 30,000 foot view. If you go back to the book of Exodus, do you know what soon means? Three days. It tells us in Exodus, they went three days into the wilderness, and it happened all over again. They hit a crisis, and boom, they forgot his works. They grumbled. They didn't believe. Now, I know you're thinking, man, these folks are really (laughs) something else. I'm glad none of them are in our church. Well, hold on. You know, I mean, three days. I think we see that today, don't we? You ever, you ever, you're on top of things, you're trusting, you're believing, you're praying, you're serving, you're giving, you're, 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 you're enjoying the Lord, and then... Man, what, what will a couple of days of adversity to you, do to you? Let's just put ourselves in the Israelites, okay? So you just came out of Egypt. You saw the ten plagues. Wow. But then you got to the Red Sea. Ah, we're dead. This was a mistake. Why did we do this? God's let us down. Oh, he can part seas. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Through the Red Sea. Ah, all right, praise God. We believe. But then what if you had three days of desert with no water? You, you had water in your, you know, what you were carrying, but... No streams, no fountains, no lakes, no rivers. Three days in the hot car with kids. Are, are you following me here? You know, I'm thirsty. I'm hot. You know, I'm tired of I'm tired of traveling. I'm tired of being in the car. You know, you camp and you happen to camp by the noisy neighbors. They're playing music all night. Nobody slept. You know, kids are fighting in the back of the wagon the whole way. You know, and then finally third day. Oh, guys, guys, there's the oasis. We're we're, we're there. We're there. And you get there, and if you've read Exodus, remember what happens? The water's no good. It's bitter. Can't drink it. What happens? They grab their hats. <clears throat> right? Man! You let us down. What in the world, God? I mean, I don't, I don't think we're a whole lot different than that, are we? But what's the problem? Well, verse 13. They soon forgot his works. They soon forgot his works. Here's what we got to do. What does that mean, forget? Does it mean, have any of you ever seen Finding Nemo? You ever seen that movie? You remember Dory? Is it, is it that, you know, like Dory has a short-term memory problem, you know, says, so you know, let's go find your son. Here we go. You know, she swim, swim, swim. And then she looks, 
What are you following me for? Who are you? You know? I mean, is it that sort of deal? Like, did they wake up, you know, in the desert and they're like, honey, how did we, where, where's the pyramids? You know, where are we at? You know, how did we get here? Did, did the union relocate us? No, I mean, what, what's it? Is that what? That's not what happened, right? So what, what does that mean, forget? Because this is what's happening. This is what leads to the unbelief. So we've got to figure this out. Because remember verse 7 says, they didn't consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of steadfast love. And then right away, the second instance says, they soon forgot his works. See, it's that forgetting right there. It's that spiritual amnesia that causes them to be unbelieving. So what exactly does that mean? Well, man, I I struggled with how to try to put this together, you know, because I think it's kind of complicated, actually. Like, how is it possible to know something but to forget it, to know something but not remember it? Well, here's what I would say. I, I would say this. Your brain has the capacity to know all kinds of things, but usually there's only a few things that are at the front. Does that make sense? At the front. The things at the front are the things that are making the decisions, right? So, so let, let me give you an example, okay? So you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Let's back up. You know, I'm talking to Christians here, you know that you've been sinning since you came out of the womb, right? I mean, you, you ought to know more than anybody how much you've sinned, how many times you have been faithless, how many times you've been disobedient, how many times you have not wanted God, you weren't interested in him, you didn't care about him, you did just what they did, exchange glory to God for images. You know how many times you've lied, you know how many times you, you know all that, right? And you know that Jesus came and, and he lives the life on, on your behalf. He lives the perfect life and then he dies a death in your place in order that you could be joined to him and he could just put all of his righteousness inside of you and take all of your sin Put it upon himself. Now you're righteous. Now you're forgiven. Everything you've ever done, everyone forgiven. You know that. Now, let's say you're at church, you're at work, you're at the ball game, and somebody insults you. And it's somebody you expected better out of. And they do something that embarrasses you. Oh, you are mad. Let me ask you what's at the front? What's at the front? What's, what's at the front of your mind determining your feelings, your will, your decisions, your emotions? Well, I hope it's the cross, right? I mean, I hope it's the reality that, you know what, you've been sinning for decades and Jesus has wiped away all those sins and saved you from hell. But you know what I think happens sometimes? It's not that. What's right at the front there? How dare they, Right? I want my piece of flesh. I want justice. Do, do you see how it's possible? And where's the cross in that? It's not that you forgot about it, but it, it's, it's not a factor, right? I, I think that's to some degree the way this works. I mean, when it says they forgot his works, what, what does that mean? It means that the fact that he just parted the Red Sea is not the determining factor of whether or not they've lost hope that there's no water, no drinkable water at Marah. It, it's, not the, it's not determining whether they're confident in the Lord. I don't know. That one good? No? Huh? Bad? All right, let me try again. All right. Uh, so let's, let's try it this way. All right, let's try it this way. This is just a made-up story, obviously. Let's just say there's a pharmacy, and in that pharmacy they've got pills that can give your family health for a month, okay? 
hell for a month. But the pharmacy is located like there's a big wall around the pharmacy, and it's it's 50 yards or so to the door from the gate. And the big iron gate, when you open it, it's one of those that goes, Creak, you know. The problem is there is a mean, big German shepherd that roams that courtyard. All right. Now, what determines whether or not you go get the medicine that month? Well, let's say that you've had sick kids. We've had a lot of that lately, haven't we? You know, the flu stuff, the bronchial stuff. You know, your wife hadn't slept in three weeks. No, not through the night. Her eyes are bloodshot. The kids are snotted. Every shirt she's got is all stained. And she wakes up one morning and she says, Go get that pill. I'd run. I'd make the I'd make the sprint. You bet. But let's 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 create another scenario. Let's say nobody's been sick for ten months. And you've had this great streak of health. Everybody's doing great. And your wife's like, you know, maybe you ought to run and go get one of those pills, you know, we don't know, you know, they might have something bad, you know, it'd be good. And you're like, you know, I pulled a hamstring the other day and that, that dog, he's got huge teeth. What's, what's, what's determining whether you're, you see, you see how that changes? All right, so what, what Psalm 106 is saying is the character of God, the works of God ought to determine your mood, your anxiety level, your fear level, what you love, what you do, your will, your decisions. That ought to be the determining factor. Now, let's go ahead and make this a little more complicated because it is a little more complicated. Look at verse 14. So verse 13 says, Soon they forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But verse 14 says, But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. What's a wanton craving? That, that's a fleshly desire. That's what that is. Now, we, we know about fleshly desires, right? It's when, it's when that sinful part of you, that sinful flesh that's unredeemed yet, even if you're a believer, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit, but you also, that flesh is still alive. It's when that sinful desire cries out to be satisfied, right? So in the illustration I just talked about where someone hurts your feelings, what is your sinful flesh crying out for? Justice, right? I mean, and it's yelling loud. What, what, what else does it cry out for? It cries out for comfort. It cries out for exaltation. It cries out for pleasure. It cries out, it cries out for all kinds. And it can cry loud. In fact, if, if you've if you paid any attention to your spiritual life at all, you know that there's times where, man, your flesh is so strong, it's all you can hear. We, we were sitting at the table last night. We were telling stories, and we got to laughing, and we were telling stories about my wife. We call her first aid woman. There's certain situations where there's like a you know, crisis or an accident. We had one of those in our family, and, and my wife like shifts into first aid woman. She's like, you call 911. You get to, you know. You know and so anyway, we're telling these funny stories. We're just laughing and laughing and laughing. And finally, we, you know, we all kind of realize at the same time, you know, the, the, the conversation starts to go down because we cannot hear. We cannot hear. We can't hear because... Colt, he feels a little left out in those kind of moments because he's not like into the stories, you know, and, but, but he knows everybody's laughing and having fun, and, and he's got both two hands full of mashed potatoes, and he's going, ah, you know, and he's not crying, I mean, he's happy, he's smiling, you know, but he, he's like wants our attention, you know, and, and, but he's so loud, like we all start talking, we can't hear anything, you know, because he's so loud. Your flesh will cry out that way. It will demand to be satisfied to the point where it's hard to hear the other, right? It's hard to hear the glorious deeds of the Lord. So, 
how do we not be start and stop Christians? How do, how do we persevere? How do we be steadfast? How do, how, do, how do we keep going, stay the course? Well, we remember the wondrous works of God. We remember the abundance of his steadfast love. Okay? We keep that at the front. That's the determining factor. So that when we hit the crisis, when we hit the trial, when we get the call, when, when, when we look at the checkbook and it's bad news, when, when whatever, that doesn't roll us. Why? Because what we're looking at is, but look at who God is. Look at what he's done. Look at what he did in the past. So how do you keep that up front? Let me give you, real quick, we're just going to run through these. You can talk about them in your small, that'd be a great idea. Talk about these in your small group because we're not going to have much time to talk about them. This morning, okay? I'm just going to list them for you. Here we go. Ready? Number one, be thankful. Man, this is, this is, this is, I, I've called this before the secret weapon of the Christian life. Do you remember in Ephesians where it says, be thankful always and for all things? Man, try living that out. That's a tough one, isn't it? But I'm telling you what, it has a residual effect on your life. When you will be thankful always and for all things. Now, 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 the psalmist does this. Actually, he models this. Psalm 103. Here's what David does. He says to himself and to others, Bless the Lord, O my soul. I'm reading Psalm 103, 1. And all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. You see what David's telling himself? Man, don't forget all that God's done. Verse 3 who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy and satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Paul is saying, or or, or the psalmist is saying, man, I'm going to be relentlessly thankful. Thankfulness is acknowledging what God's done. That's what we do. We're we're bringing that stuff up to the forefront of our mind. God, here's what you've done. God, here's, here's who you are. God, here's what you've done for me. God, here's what you've promised to do. And we're keeping that at the front. Thankfulness is what, it has, a, it has a tendency to drift back, right? But we're pulling it up to the front. This is what you've done, God. Number two, speak of the glorious deeds to ourselves and others. Isn't it interesting that in Psalm 103, he's not only talking to himself, he's talking to other people. He wrote it down, Right? And in Psalm 96, and uh, this is actually all over in the Bible, but I'm just giving you places that are close to where we're at. Psalm 96, verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. There is something good for your soul. There's something that brings, brings up the character of God to the forefront of your mind when you tell other people. You, you, know, you know, there's two things we want to avoid in our small groups, okay? Number one, we want to avoid this scenario that if you have an hour to be together talking spiritually, like after you've eaten and stuff, if you have an hour to just unpack some spiritual stuff together, we want to avoid the scenario that one person talks for 58 minutes and then you have prayer, okay? We want to avoid that, all right? So try not to be that person, you know? You're saying, oh, it was 56 minutes, Pastor. Oh, yeah, that's better, but, you know, we don't, we don't want that. But you know the worst scenario? The worst scenario is when the small group leader says, hey, guys, what happened this week? Tell us, tell us your... What, what, what was a victory this week? You know, tell, did, did you have an opportunity to share truth? You know, did, what did God do in your life? And it's crickets. I made a cricket sound in the 830 service, and Pastor Daniel told me that didn't sound like a cricket. He said it sounded like a bird. So I've, I've just said crickets. I won't do my cricket noise. That's worse. We, our small groups, we want them to be places where 
People hear, oh man, this is what God did in Fred's life, man. God, Fred, God gave Fred a job this last week, man. Here, here's, here's what God did with, with Fred's boss. And he, he was able to walk in and he said, you know, I really want Sundays off. And his boss like, yeah. You know, man, we want to hear that. That encourages our soul. And then Fred needs to hear our stories. Speak of God's glorious deeds to ourselves and others. Number three, pray. Pray to know God's riches at a deeper, clearer way. In the book of Ephesians, this is what tips us off here, the way Paul prays. Did you know it's possible to know something and not know it? Or how about this? To know it, but to need to know it better. How about that, all right? So in Ephesians chapter one, Paul Paul prays this for the church. He says, having the eyes, he says, I pray for you that you have the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what's the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? What is the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe? See, Paul is praying, I want you to know that more. I pray that God would open up your spiritual eyes to know those things more. Number four, journal. I don't have a verse for this. I'm just, I'm just sharing. It's just my own testimony. I could take you in my office and I, I could show you 40, 50 notebooks that are on my shelf, stacked on my shelf that are just my every day. This is what I found. This is what I saw in Psalm 106. This is what I saw in Psalm 107. This is what I saw in Psalm 108. This is what I'm struggling with, God. This is what I'm praying for. This, this is what you did for me. There's something for me about writing that down that solidifies it, taking the time to jot down some things that God's doing. I don't know. It, it helps me. It helps bring that stuff to the forefront of my mind. Number five. And I'm not sure how to do this, but I want to get better at this one. Make stones of remembrance. You're like, what is that? Well, it's, it's just what, it's what God told them to do. So God knows this is a problem. This forgetting thing is a problem. And, and, and so he tells Joshua that as they go in the promised land, they're going to go through the Jordan River, and God's going to, God's going to pile up the Jordan River in a heap, and they're going to go through on, on dry land. And then he says, okay, guys, stop and do this. Verse 4. Then Joshua called the 12, 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them what the, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. You, you see what he does? I mean, God did an awesome thing there. God, God held the waters of the Jordan at flood stage so they could walk across. And once they get to the other side, he says, all right, stack some rocks up here so that every time you come to the river and you see that pile of rocks and your kid's like, Dad, what's that pile of rocks? Then you stop and say, let me tell you what God did here. How can you do that in your family? I, I, everybody's probably got some unique ways. Some people make scrapbooks where they, you know, kind of things God has done. Other, Honestly, the way we do it is just we tell stories. We're kind of that kind of family. So, you know, we, we like to just tell, recount. Man, you remember what God did? Remember that time in Kansas City? We were out of money. Kid was sick. We had to go to the doctor. We know what we we're going to do. We came out of our apartment. There's an envelope taped on the apartment with like 250 bucks in there. That was like $250,000 to us, you know. You remember that? You remember how? I, I, you guys know my stories. Man, I tell them all the time. I tell them to my kids. Remember when we were at SBU and man, that happened? Remember, remember? I don't know. 
I'd like to find some better ways like just to do just what he's saying. Lastly, and this one's right out of what Jesus told us to do. Jesus told us something to do, and he told us to do it continually. We'll probably do it next week or the week after. It's called the Lord's Supper. And it's where we, where we take bread, and we take the cup, and, and we bless it. And then we partake of the bread together, remembering. Remember what Jesus said? Do this in remembrance of me. Remembering that I've got no hope of saving myself. I cannot save myself. I cannot be good enough. I've already blown it. Remembering that Jesus came and his body was broken and his blood was shed to make me righteous. And the Bible says, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, you need to bring the gospel to the front of your mind over and over and over again. Because honestly, guys, don't we know that we're just like these guys? If we don't do that, what happens? We get cranky, we get grumbly, we get murmury, we get unbelieving. We start making decisions and spouting off in anger. and We stop acting like his people. We need to continually remember the character of God, the work of God, the promises of God. To stir up faith in our hearts. Father I pray that you'd help us. God help us to be your people. God help us to be steadfast. God help us to. To push through trials. To push through stress. To push through trouble. To push through temptation. God relying on you. Depending on you. Looking to you. Celebrating you. Confident in you. And God as we do that. Lord just give us. Give us a strong pace. God, we, we don't expect to be sprinters, but God, we, we want to be marathon runners. We want to be in this for the long haul. God, keep us from falling away. Keep us from going in the ditch. God, help us to persevere. In Jesus' name.